Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. I love that. We are God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus. Turn to the person next to you and say, you ain't no Rembrandt. (laughs) And say back to him and say, I am created by God. We don't need Rembrandt. We've got the creator God who created the universe. He's the one who's made us. And we're not supposed to be some picture which is put on the wall or some lovely vase which is there to admire. We have been engineered. We have been created for more than that because it carries on. We are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus. To do. Say to do. To do. We are created to do something. We are God's masterpiece, but that's not where it stops. We could just spend all day just going, I'm God's masterpiece. I'm just going to sit in this chair all day. Isn't God amazing? But you were created to do something. What were you created to do? Good works, which God prepared for you in advance. Not the good works you prepared for you to do in advance. There's my water. Good works that God prepared for you to do in advance. You see, it's not about what I want, it's about what he wants. We're talking discipleship at the moment and we have three pillars, life of circles, life of service and life of outreach. I'm going to talk about the second mainly today about life of service. You see, we are created masterpiece to do his bidding. It's service to him. It's very quiet. I must be preaching really good. <laughs> I'm already hitting people's hearts already. So uh, some of you may be into Formula One. Some of you may even got up earlier this morning to watch the Chinese Grand Prix. Unfortunately, I don't have Sky Sports, unlike some people in the congregation. So I couldn't, plus I was a bit busy this morning. But I know some of you have already watched the Grand Prix this morning. And here, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, is a Formula One car. Now that is a pinnacle of engineering. It is a masterpiece of workmanship. It is, now you may not like it, but it is amazing. It is worth, even the engine itself is worth millions of pounds. No one here can afford that. It is that good. It is that uh, that much of a masterpiece. However, if you want to pop down the shops in that car, it's a bit of a problem. The first problem you'll run into is that you need a team of engineers just to get it started. So, hey, Leslie, I'm just off to, I'm just off to the shops. Where's my 20 engineers to get it going? And then it doesn't, it's not even just the people. It takes about half an hour to get it going and get it warmed up. You know, I could have walked to the shops and got back again before it's even ready to go. And then you hit more problems. You say, if you drive this, this machine, this pinnacle of engineering, at 30 miles per hour, the brakes don't work. The tyres don't work because it's supposed to be driven at extreme speeds. And so when you drive at 30 miles an hour, it's a dog of a car to drive. It really is. Even though it's worth hundreds of times more than your family car, it's a dog of a car to drive at those speeds. And to top it all off for me, where are you going to put your shopping? Very good. You see... That is a masterpiece, but if you put it on the shopping run, it is rubbish. But when you put it on a racetrack, 
and you drive it at horrendous speeds, it becomes amazing. When you drive that on a racetrack and you start overtaking other cars, when you feel the G-forces, for those those G-forces, which for some, of, some people in this room, I'm, I'm, I'm being literal, you go around in that car at full speed, it will kill you, because it's that fast. You start to understand purpose. I was designed to race. If that was like Herbie, he'd be saying, I'm designed for the racetrack. I'm not designed for the shopping trip. I'm designed for the racetrack. And it's saying with you, you are a masterpiece created anew, designed for a specific purpose which God has chosen. When you start using your, your masterpiece to go and pick up the shopping, you don't find purpose. But when you put yourself on the racetrack, when you put yourself in the situation you were designed for, suddenly you're amazing. Suddenly everything makes sense. Suddenly you know what it is to live. You have purpose in you. So, I want to explain this with Galatians 5. Let's turn to Galatians 5. No, sorry, Galatians 5. Yeah, Galatians 5. I'm right, first time. Paul talks about, in every believer, there's a wrestling between the spirit and the flesh. With every single one of you, you have an internal war going on between God's spirit Basically, what God wants you to do, what he has planned in advance for you to do, and your flesh, or as some Bible say, the sinful nature. What, what does the flesh mean? Well, I'll give you a good example. When I go and put my gym car in the boot of my, my gym car, my gym bag in the boot of my car, and then I go to the office, and then on the way from the office, I find myself in McDonald's rather than the gym. <laughs> I have just listened to the flesh voice in my life. When, you, uh, when you're having, when, when you're in that conversation and you, and you just want to, to, to hear the juicy gossip yeah. and you know you shouldn't, but you want to hear it anyway because it's, it's getting you, I know excited is the right word, I know, but it's, it's causing you some kind of fun. That is your flesh voice. When you have a go at your kids, not because they've done anything wrong, but because you've had a really bad day and they're just irritating you. They're just doing exactly what they did the, uh, every day, but today they're irritating you. That is your flesh being manifest in your life. Yeah. It's all about me, 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 what I want, what I want to do. That, that's, that's what your flesh voice is like. Now, sometimes it actually aligns with your, your, your spirit. For instance, if you're really tired, God's spirit's probably telling you to go to bed as well as your body telling you to go to bed. But even a broken clock is right twice a day. There is literally this war going on inside you. So let's look at verse, uh, verse 15. Sorry, verse 19. Come to the slide, please. Next slide. The acts of the flesh, this is Galatians 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Okay, so they should be obvious to you. I've just done a few examples, but they are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So Paul is saying, it's obvious, we all know what it's like when someone's being selfish. When you're you're looking out for number one. But this scripture used to really puzzle me because here in verse 19 and, and to 21, there's some really clear obvious things about the flesh. And then it gets to verse 22 and it gets a bit mamby-pamby for me, as in, don't gossip, just love. Um, don't steal, but be kind. Um, one's like airy-fairy and the other one's really straight. One's actions and the other is, well, I don't really know what doing love is. But then something like this bomb dropped, and you've probably already seen this, but it um, you know, takes me a while sometimes. This bomb just dropped in, in, in my revelation. Paul's not talking about the same things. He's not talking like for like. One thing he's saying, the acts of the flesh. And on this side, he's talking about the fruit of the spirit. He's not talking the acts or the works or the deeds of the spirit. He's talking about the result of following the Holy Spirit. Because if you go to um, verse 24, it tells you what the acts of the Holy Spirit are. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. What is the action of following the Holy Spirit? It's just doing, Father, whatever you want me to do. Whether it's written in here or the Holy Spirit is downloading straight into your situation something you need to do or the way you need to react that is the act of the Holy Spirit. That is the works of the Holy Spirit. Come to the next slide. Works and fruit, you see. So when I decide that I am going to join in that negative conversation at work, well, we have negative conversations at work, I've just found out. <laughs> when I decide to join in that negative conversation at work, It's not the fruit of the flesh. It's me digging ground, working out something. What will be the fruit of me joining in that conversation? Misery, darkness, hate. That is the fruit of the works of the flesh. What is the... You see, over here, it's I just do what you want, God. And then in my life... Joy will come out, love will come out, kindness will come out. So by, by doing the works of the flesh, I become miserable. But by following the way of the Spirit, I become lovely. I become full of joy. I become full of happiness. I become full of peace and patience and all the good stuff. Think of it this way, okay? We say Jesus is Lord. Okay? Jesus is Lord. What's that mean? That means you're in charge, God. That means whatever you say, I'm going to do. That's what it means to be Lord. Yeah. If, I, if I'm here at this, in my decision making, I'm going, right, well, I know I should pray, but, you know, that's that really good TV program on TV. And I, well, I don't know where else it would be, maybe my iPad. But I really want to do that, but I know I should be doing this. If I go, God, it's all you. I lay my life down in service. It's all about you. I will reap Joy. I will reap happiness. Whereas when I say, "Ah, actually, I'll just do what I want to do, I will reap misery. 
Because what, what does it mean to be Lord? Or what does it mean to be king? But what the king says, I do. Yeah. If he's king of my life, I do what he says. If I'm there saying, well, actually, I don't agree with that one. I don't feel like doing that thing. I don't want to do that thing. So I'm going to do what I want to do, which is the flesh. Then I am still Lord of my life. I am king. But where the king says stuff and it happens, guess what's happened? That's where his rules just happened. If my life is completely submitted to the rule of Christ, it's where the king rules. It's where the kingdom happens. So when I say yes to Jesus, the kingdom, my, my life becomes the kingdom of God because I am there listening to him. So what happens when I say yes to God? Heaven meets earth. So as I'm saying yes, heaven is exploding in my life and the fruit of heaven is love, joy, peace. It's also healing. It, I get to know how good God is. I, it's like the, 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 racing, the racing car I've suddenly fulfilled because I know what my purpose is. You see, our society... It's one of self-centeredness and individualism. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's quite normal. It's all about, hold it close to me. Hold it close to me. I want to get what I can get. But it was the same when Jesus was around. Yeah. Don't deceive yourself. It was the same when Jesus was around. And he came to turn our thinking upside down. Yeah. And to turn, demonstrate counter-cultural ways to live. So, I want, I want, so I've just explained... What is a life of service? It is Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Yeah, very good. Let me put it like this. What did Jesus say? Who inherits the earth? It's the meek. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want your office one for Jesus? Yeah. Just do what he asks. Yeah. Very good. And then what happens? People start to experience love. Yeah. When you refuse to join in that conversation and you only speak people up, People start to experience the kingdom of God. They taste and see that God is good. Now it might take a week, it might take a month, it might take years, but they are experiencing the kingdom of God. To talk like Joshua, how do you take land? You just say, God, you are Lord and I am not. Yeah. And from that position, you inherit your street, you inherit your family, you inherit your office for the kingdom of God. Let's turn to Philippians 2. I know we've brought this up quite a few times. So Paul is explaining to the Philippians what their attitude of service should be like. And so he explains it in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The thing I want to put, point out is that Jesus did not take equality with God to be for granted. John says he was with God and was God. He didn't have to come to earth. He said, wait a minute, why am I coming to help them? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm above that. I'm God. They're human. But he 
does that to the Father. Your will, not mine. Comes to earth. And even on earth, he's not even saying I'm the best human. He lives a life again in service to God and to others and puts himself as the lowest of the low and then even humbles himself to death on the cross. Because he decided not to take his rights. He decided to serve, not my will. Not my will, but yours, God. So what should our attitude be? Well, if we go back to 2 verse 3, which I think is up here, what Paul is explaining is an attitude which we should have in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. It's what Jesus did. Look at the person next to you. Tell them they're more important than you. Turn to the person on the other, other side and say, I'm here to serve you. <laughs> now, Jesus didn't actually say that the person to the left and the right is more important than you. He says, just regard them, treat them as though they are. Okay? So how do we see this? Well, we see this in the tech team. I told you I'd talk about the tech team. The tech team, for those who don't know, on a Sunday morning, they get to Brid Avenue, Bridlington Avenue for eight o'clock. And they have to load up a van and then they have to come in here and they have to get everything out of the van into here and set this all up so that the worship team can have time to rehearse. What are they doing? They're serving the worship team. They're not regarding themselves more important than the worship team. They're serving the worship team. And then when the worship team are sound checking, they're busy running around, taping down cables, putting up the lights so that they can serve you. Because they have come to this conclusion. You're Experience with God on a Sunday morning is more important than mine. Very good. Very good. That's incredible. We have teams all over this place, InfoPoint, Children's Work, Stewards, Worship Team, who Sunday after Sunday, even though they value, and, and normally they are the people who value the Sunday morning experience more than anybody else, lay it down for the sake of others Incredible. because they want to see people encounter with God because they don't regard themselves as more important than the people who come through those doors. Now, you may be sat in a row and that obnoxious, irritable, noisy, snoring person has sat on that row and you think, how has that happened? I was sat over there and now and then they follow me and I sat over there and then they follow me and wherever I sit, they seem to be sitting on the same row and they don't let me engage with the message. Well, listen to this, regard their needs more important than yours. Yeah. Who's more in need of discipleship, the rough and ready or those who are halfway there? I'm just, just telling you what Paul said, regard other people as more important than yourself. So, my last so, my points have been this, how when you live a life of service to God, you realise that you're a masterpiece. But it's when you do it, you realise you're a masterpiece. If you try and use your found freedom for a different type of life, you won't understand it. But when you live a life of service, you find your identity. But my second point was this, consider others more important than yourself. That is how service looks like. I've got a third point, which I'll do very quickly. 
which is this, do I have to enjoy service? And the answer is no. Hebrews 12, verse 2. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Not enjoyed, endured the cross. So Darren, I've already talked about with the tech team, Darren doesn't like early mornings. So for him getting to Bridav and for maybe other people getting to Bridav at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, it's not something he enjoys, but something he endures because of the joy set before him. There, there are people on the stewarding team which don't like being stewards. There's some who are called to it and I would love everyone to be in a ministry that they like doing. But I know there are people in the stewarding team just there because they know it's needed. Do they have to love it? No, they don't. Jesus didn't love the cross. You know, he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, God, if there's any other way, any other way, I don't want this, but not my will, yours. So my challenge for you today, and I'm not just talking about teams because this is about culture. This is about you living your day, you're living day in, day out. Not about what team you're on, what department you're in, it's about how do I treat the person next to me? How do I treat the people in my family? How do I treat the people in my workplace? How do I treat each other in this place? My challenge is this. Where do you regard yourself more important than yourself, than others? Are your needs more important than the stewarding team? For only mine there. You see, the, the stewards, um, I mean, the tech team, could say to the worship team, you know what, we have to be here at 8 a.m., why can't you? That's fair, that's equal. I've never heard them once say that. Because they're serving. Where do you need to serve? Now, it may be that God is prompting you, hey, you've been sat in these pews long enough, maybe you need to join a team. But it may be that in your family life, you just realise that I'm just doing what I want and I don't, I'm not considering the needs of my wife or my children. Or maybe in your workplace, you've just been there trying to be the best you can be, which is good, but at the cost of others. Let's bring the kingdom of God into your office. Start to regard people as more important than yourself.